a series of looking at the local church. Ant has spoken over the last couple of weeks about the local church as the, the grouping of people who serve the King Jesus. We are the kingdom of heaven on earth. We are the family of God meeting in places like this, and he's focusing and has focused on the local church. What does this group of people mean to us? How do we support this group of people? How does this group of people make itself available to God for his plans and his purpose? And Ant has spoken powerfully on the fact that we support the church physically. We support it in what we say, in what we think, in what we do. We use our hands, our mouth, and our time to support the church. And that the church supports us. This is a place where Christians get challenged, built up, taught, equipped, supported, fellowshiped, and get intimate with God. It's a place of feeding and rejoicing and sharing. And it's a good place to be. I love coming to church. I love coming to meet with the local church. It's not a, an effort for us. We don't get up in the morning and say, oh, we're going to church this morning. I'm looking forward to this from Monday. I'm looking forward to Sunday because this is a place where we get fed and built up. And then Anne spoke also on what is the, the gospel of the church, and it's the gospel of the kingdom of God, which put simply is we were lost in our sin and our, and our rebellion from God. Jesus Christ came and died for us, and he preached that the kingdom of God was at hand, that bringing a new way for us to enter into a relationship with God, to move out of the grip of sin into the, the, the light of, of God's word, and that we are part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom being the people that are ruled by a king. It's not a geographical place. The kingdom of God, by God's grace and glory, is spread throughout the world. And we are part of that. We are the local manifestation of the kingdom of God. We are the local manifestation of the body of Christ. We are the local manifestation of the church. And it's wonderful. And we have rejoiced. And Ant has been very enthusiastic, as he always is. And I'm so glad that preaching isn't a competitive sport because I'd feel so intimidated standing up in front of you after the last couple of Sundays because he's really preached a storm. And I hope it's inspired you to be rejoicing as part of the local church. But we have this local church. We are fed. We are sustained. We are challenged. We are taught. We are all these wonderful things. So what? What next? And so today I want to speak to you for a little while on the mission of the church. What do we do? What's our purpose for being together? Why are we here and I thought just quite simply to start with a definition of mission from a dictionary, which says an important official job that a person or group of people is given to do, especially when they're sent to another country, like a trade mission or a military mission. It's an important official job that a person or group of people is given to do, especially when they're sent to another country. Now, when someone goes on a mission, they are commissioned. What does that mean? That means the act granting certain powers or the authority to carry out a particular task or duty, the authority is granted by commissioning someone. Um, from South Africa, all of us of my generation had to be part of the military for a couple of years as part of our national service. And you sometimes became an officer and you were commissioned. You were commissioned by the authorities to carry out a certain task as an officer. You have commissioned officers in every army. They're given a particular role to do, and in doing that role, they are given the authority to do it. They are equipped to do it and given the authority to do that. So we're going to look at our mission, what is our mission, and how are we commissioned into that mission. And I want to start by talking about something which people call the Great Commission. Now, there's some terms we use in the Christian church that don't appear in the Bible, yet we all know what it means. We talk about the Trinity, we know what it means and we know what the, the functioning of the Trinity is, but the word's never used in the Bible. 
And the Great Commission is not called the Great Commission in the Bible. It's a term that was actually coined in, I think, the 17th century by a missionary organization. And they called this the Great Commission. The scriptures that we find in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. And the great missionary Hudson Taylor often quote, is quoted as saying, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. It's something that we all should take to heart. All of us should be challenged by the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20 say this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. It was quite a journey, about a 17-hour journey from where they had first encountered Jesus in, in, in the Gospels. We find him saying to people, tell the disciples to come to Galilee. And they went there and said, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey or observe everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. And I'd like to just spend a minute or two looking at the Great Commission before we move on and see how we apply that in our lives. And just an interesting little thing that I saw, the majority of church-growing Christians in America are unfamiliar with the term the Great Commission. The 2019 survey found, even amongst those familiar with it, 25% recognized the phrase but couldn't explain what it was. Only 17% were familiar with the phrase and its meaning and its challenge. It's interesting that in the church, there are people who are not aware of why we're here. There are people who are not aware of what it's about. They come and share the presence of God. They get His Word. They are fed. They grow in their understanding. They grow in their knowledge but they're not aware of what they're supposed to be doing with that. What, what are we supposed to do with this growth that we have? What are we supposed to do with this knowledge that we have? And the Great Commission, just a couple of things that it points out. I like the fact, or I don't like the fact, I note the fact, and I'm encouraged by the fact that it says when they saw him, Jesus has said, come meet me in Galilee. Make this journey. Come find me where I am. And when they came together, they worshipped him, but some doubted. It's just a little bit of reassurance stuck in there. This wasn't a bunch of absolutely confident, powerfully motivated people that were coming to say, we are reporting for duty, what do you want us to do? They were kind of like, this is great, but what's happening? What do we do now? What do you, what do you want with us? And some of them were going, I don't know if I can do this. This wasn't an elite squad of, of, of trained missionaries. These were ordinary people like you and me. Some of us have some gifts and some have others. Some of us are confident, some of us are less confident in areas. And these guys that came together, this, you know, the awesome responsibility on these guys. Jesus is going back to heaven soon. And the kingdom of God needs to come. The kingdom of God needs to be spread. And all he's got to do it is these guys. Mostly a bunch of fishermen. Coming together with a bit of concern and a bit of fear as to what do we do now? All these amazing things have happened. We had three years of glorious teaching in, with Jesus and seeing miracles and, and, and wonderful things happen. And then we had this intense experience of seeing him crucified. And then this freaking out experience of him rising from the dead. And now he wants to talk to us and he wants to, 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 to guide us. What's it about? And some of them were delighted to see him and some of them were nervous. Ordinary people like you and me. As I speak to you about the Great Commission, there are going to be some people sitting here saying, somewhere in the back of their mind, leave me alone. I'll come to your church. 
I'll, I'll give my offering, I'll love God, but don't start pushing me to do stuff. But don't start challenging me to do stuff. And, and there were people like that there as well. They were ordinary people just like you and me. And then says, Jesus said them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. He says, I have all the authority now. Satan has zip left. But he's still active on this earth. I have all the authority. And because I have all the authority, you can go. I'm commissioning you. I'm, you are going in my authority that I have earned. And I've got it all. And because of that, and because I have completed the task, you can now go and make disciples. And then it says, go and make disciples. It doesn't say, go and make converts. It doesn't say, go and increase the number of people who know me. It says, go and make disciples. People who are taught, people who are equipped, people who learn, people who grow. That's our task, is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, going in the power of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey Observe everything that I have commanded you and surely I'm with you until the end of the days. I want to stop for a moment on that word obey. The definition of that in the Strong's Concordance, and I cannot pronounce the word properly, it's the Greek word terio, I think, which means to watch over, to guard, to prevent loss or injury, to keep an eye on. They are told to pass on and protect the gospel to protect all the things that he has taught them, all the things that they've learned from him. They're not to go out and give their own versions of doing this. They're not told, go into all the world and tell people what you think this is all about. Go and share your experiences and tell people what you think. It go and take with you the protected, guarded, looked after word of God and share that and train people up in that. We are not called to go on mission to make our own disciples. We are called to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to do that, we need to pass on to them the word of God, the teaching of the of, of Lord Jesus Christ, untainted, unchanged, undiluted. That's what we're called to share. I can maybe just press pause on where I'm going for a moment and say it's a sadness to me that in so much spoken about Christ in the world today by church organizations, there is compromise because we want to make this an attractive and easy way for people to come to the church or come into Christianity. So we'll make it what suits them. We'll preach a gospel that is fit for society as it prefers to be at the moment. We will preach a custom-made gospel for people and we'll teach them what they want to hear so they'll come and fill the seats in our church. We're not called to do that. We're called to teach them the protected word of God as he gave it to us that's what he wants to pass on because that's what he wants people to become disciples of. And he says, and surely I'm with you till the end of the age. And then there's another scripture which I want to just look at this because I want to look at this end. And that's Acts 1.8 which says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And these two ends are different. One is till the end of the age and the one is to the uttermost parts of the earth. He'll be with us forever, wherever. That's the commission, that's what he says to these people. He's challenging them and saying, this is not where it ends, this is where it starts for you. <laughs> Up until now, we've been preparing you. We've been making you equipped, getting you ready, giving you chances to see what I do, to try out what I do. He sent out 12, he sent out 72. But now it's your turn to go out and make disciples for me with my word. 
and I'll be with you, and my authority will be with you. That is the Great Commission, and that applies to you and me as much as it applied to them. When Paul writes to Timothy, he says, train people to do what we do, to do what I do. All the things I've taught you, teach them. This is meant to be passed on, and by the grace of God, hallelujah, it has been. That's why we've heard about Jesus. When Pentecost came, 120 people, these guys, were in a room in Jerusalem, and they were the answer to God's plan to send the word throughout the world. And they've done it. We've heard. We hear. We have the gospel. We have the word of God. It's got this far. Now it's our chance and our turn and our responsibility to respond to the Great Commission so that this continues. And I want to very simply look at two things. When I look at mission, when I look at people spreading the gospel and spreading the kingdom of God, in my observation, I see two ways in which this happens. I see what I call incidental, spontaneous evangelism and mission. And I see organized and planned mission. And I'm going to look at both. And the first, if you think about this, for the first years of the church spreading, it was incidental, spontaneous evangelism that, 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 that took place. It was, Peter and the disciples were not sitting in the, in, in the room where the, the Holy Spirit came saying, we are planning our first evangelical outreach. They were worshiping God. They were reminding each other of what he had taught them. They were, they were encouraging one another and the Spirit of God comes upon them and takes them outside and they're standing outside worshiping and a crowd gathers and Peter says, I'm going to preach. He hadn't planned for it. He hadn't, there wasn't a date in the calendar. There weren't posters. There hadn't been any TV advertising. They went out and there was a crowd and Peter said, I've got to share with them what they need to hear. They said, what's going on? He said, I'll tell you what's going on. And he preaches a sermon and 3,000 people come into the church. Now, if preaching was a competitive sport, that would be the Olympic gold, I guess. But it wasn't a planned event. It wasn't a mission journey. It wasn't a rally. It wasn't a tent meeting. People responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit in the situation they were in. And the church begins to grow by people seeing and observing the love and the joy and the power of the church and the miracles that are taking place. And people in Jerusalem begin to come in when we look in Acts chapter 2. It talks about the fact that they were, the people saw them and the people liked them and they were sharing God's word and God's love with each other and people were added to them daily. And then there's another big sermon. Peter and, and John go into the temple. They heal a guy with legs that have been lame for all his life and he goes leaping and dancing. I call him the dancing dude. He goes leaping and dancing into the temple and a crowd gathers. And there's a crowd and Peter says, I will preach. And the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he preaches the word of God that he has been shared by Jesus Christ. And another 2,000 people come into church. Their life, their healings, their miracles, their conversations, their arguments. And people are convinced that the kingdom of God is something real and they come into the kingdom of God in that particular way. In this time, I can find no record of organized evangelism. I can find no time that people sat down and said, we are launching a mission, we're going to talk about that, that happens in Antioch sometime later. But the people themselves spread the word, and the greatest increase that came after those two sermons was when persecution started. In Acts chapter 8, we read about the persecution starting. Stephen gets stoned and he gets killed, and persecution starts with Paul being the ringleader, and people are being persecuted and thrown to jail. And they leave and they go. And it says in Acts chapter 8 verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. The guys that went because of persecution, the guys that left, 
shared their lives wherever they went. And it's interesting, it says they were scattered abroad. It's the same word as sowing seed. You know, it just shows me how God can use bad things for good purposes. God can turn all things. He can work all things together for good. Persecution breaks out. It was not a good thing. It's not a good thing that people are arrested and thrown into jail and killed and beaten up and stoned for their faith. But God takes this evil thing that's happening and he uses it to scatter the people into the nations. He, he inspires them as they go and they're like seed being thrown out from Jerusalem into the surrounding areas and new groups of believers begin to form. Where they went, it says, they preached the word. They were sowed into society. What qualified them? I want you to think carefully about this because these were people like you and me. Amongst them were those scared people who were not so sure. Amongst them were the people that were shy. Amongst them were people who were, were, were not convinced of any abilities they had. But they go out and they somehow find a way to share the word of God and it begins to spread. What gave them the authority, the Great Commission? You have the authority to share God's word. He gave it way, way back. He said, I have all authority, said Jesus. Now go in my name. You have the authority to do it. If you're a child of God, with the Holy Spirit living inside you, you have authority to share God's word. What equipped them? And this is very important for us. What equipped them was the local church. And that's why we're here in this place. In Acts chapter 2, towards the end, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? Jesus said, go and share everything I have told you. Preserve it, look after it, protect it. That's what they were sharing. So in their time in the local church in Jerusalem, they were fed with the words of God, with the scripture from the Old Testament and with what Jesus taught directly from the apostles. They were equipped in the local church. They were also equipped to be familiar with the Holy Spirit. You know, we had a time of rejoicing here this morning in prayer and worship. And the main reason we do that is because Jesus is worthy of that praise. It's all about him. Let's never forget that. We love being in a place of praise and worship. I, I thoroughly enjoy worshiping. It lifts me up. It, it, it brings joy to my heart. The presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. But it's all about Jesus. It's about giving to him. But now in his wonderful love, as we give to him, he imparts that familiarity to us of the Holy Spirit and we grow in our familiarity and our intimacy with God and we become empowered to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. We get baptized in the Holy Spirit. We begin to be able to work in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and that equips us for the task of sharing the gospel. Where these guys went, they'd arrive in a town and they'd live as Christians and their neighbor would be ill and they'd go and say, can I pray for you? And they'd pray for the neighbor and the neighbor gets healed. And some people say, what happened there? Well, come along, we'll share about Jesus, and a church starts. I was in India a little while after the, the Boxing Day tsunami. We'd been to India on mission just before that, and we went back a year later because we gave quite a lot of resources. The church and the school I was in gave a lot of resources to the local church there to help in Chennai in, 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 on the, the southeast Indian coast. And we went to go and see what was happening, and I was introduced to a local guy. He'd been kicked out of a fishing village, and the fishermen are quite rugged guys in that particular area because he became a Christian. They felt that he's praying to God and not to their gods was going to spoil the fishing, so they kicked him out. When the tsunami came, he came back into the area to help with the people that were rebuilding, and he began to plant churches. And we spoke to him through an interpreter because he was an unschooled man. He only spoke Tamil. He didn't have any education of anything else. 
And we said to him, how do you start a church? And very matter of fact, he said, I come into a village and I find some people that are sick and I pray for them. And then they get healed and then they bring their friends and then we start a church. And he didn't say this in a, oh, this is how I do it. It's kind of like, so how do you start a church? Isn't that the way everybody starts it? That's what these guys are doing. Where were they equipped to do that? Yeah. In the local church. In their local church. That's where they were trained to understand the word of God. They were trained to operate in the power of his Holy Spirit. They were encouraged. They were confident that God would protect them. And they began to share. And I find that so encouraging. Wherever you go, you can share the word of God. Here's the thing is, a whole bunch of us don't know that. Enemy comes to us and says, not you. You haven't got that gift. You haven't got that talent. You aren't good enough. You can't go and preach because you've got some weaknesses in your own life and you've had some sin and you've done some wrong stuff. First, you've got to become perfect. No, you don't. First, you've got to become worthy. No, you don't. You'll never become worthy of your own strength. I'm a child of God, born of Jesus Christ's salvation, full of the Holy Spirit of God and authorized by his word to share the gospel. I'm good enough. And so are you. And don't let anybody tell you that you aren't. Don't let anybody tell you that you aren't. You're called to do that. What were they motivated by? You know, there's a lovely testimony of, the, of uh, Ruth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, who's famous as a missionary who lost his life going to a tribe that they've been trying to cultivate and, and they were speared to death in their, almost their first contact. And she says, it's the love of Christ that constrains us. There is no other motivation for missionary service that is going to survive the blows of even the first year. We're not going to be effective in sharing God's word if our only reason for doing so is a sense of duty. I must do this. It's a great commission in the Bible. It's a command. I must do it. So I'll go and do what I can, but the first time somebody doesn't respond, I'll feel discouraged and my own determination will begin to fade. We can't do it because of a sense of adventure. Going into mission world is, is adventurous. It's, it's exciting. It's joyful, but not always. Sometimes it's just jolly exhausting and people will stop. But it's the love of God, says Ruth Elliot, that constrained her family to, and that's not our love for God. It's his love for us and through us. When we teach on the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, we talk about the fact that those gifts are motivated by the love in 1 Corinthians 13, the agape love of God, the love that God gives us in the same way that he empowers us to pray for healing or to speak words of prophecy. He puts his love through us. So how do we get that love operating through our lives? We surrender to him in places like this when we're in worship and times of teaching. We get to know about the fact that I can't do this without the love of God. My love is not enough. My love is conditional. You mess me around, I'll stop loving you. We like that, aren't we? You're my friend until you hurt me, then I don't love you anymore. God loves us anyway, and he needs that love to be our motivation, not emotional, personally generated love, but his love operating through us. Where do we learn to submit to the love of God and to learn here in the local church we aren't motivated just by need we aren't motivated just by duty we need to be motivated by the love of God now how do you get yourself ready for that get equipped how do you get equipped get into God's word any way you can 
Listen to the teaching and preaching that's available to you. Read the books that you can get a hold of. Teach and preach together in your home groups. Come along to courses like Grounded. Come along to Foundations. Come along to Going Deeper. Get the Bible course. Do what you can. Paul says to Timothy, study to show yourself approved. Get yourself equipped by fellowshipping, by deepening in the love of God. Get yourself ready by anticipating the fact that this thing could happen. What am I talking about? I believe firmly that God opens doors for us to speak about him. I'm not saying that each one of us needs to get... Do I need to stand still? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's the angle that I picked this thing up. It's now reflecting into those speakers over there. Shall I come back a little bit? It's not saying that each one of us needs to get a soapbox and go and stand in St. Albans Main Road, although you may need to. But be ready when the door opens. When somebody, as you're standing next to the football field and your child is playing, begins to talk about what's going on in their life, be ready to say, can I pray for you? Well, that happened to me, but God brought me through that. I know there are constraints in people's places of work and offices, but there are times when you can speak out. There are times that you have a chance. Just grab those opportunities. Don't say, I'm going to wait until I've got a sermon in my pocket. And if God opens the door, I'll preach my sermon. Three points and a prayer and an altar call. Don't wait for that. You can share your testimony. You can share your experience of God. You can share the word that you've got. I was fortunate enough to go to Nepal a while ago on mission. And before I went, someone told me a story of a missionary there many, many years ago that went in to talk to local missionaries. And he found them a group of people that were illiterate, that couldn't read the Bible. They were memorizing as much as they could, and they were going and preaching just on that. And the one woman could sing, and she'd learned to sing some of the gospel. And she'd go into villages and sing the gospel. And the missionary that was talking to the organizer of this get-together said, so does she have converts? And he said, I think he said three or four. He said, three or four people. She said, no, three or four villages. It's not based on my ability, my skill. It's based on God opening a door and saying, speak now. One of the most profound opportunities I had to share God's gospel was when I was a young man in a band that was touring as a Christian ministry. And my very last ministry with the band before I left, because it was a university-related thing and I was leaving, was in a place called George in South Africa. It was an open-air concert in a caravan park, and we played and I was packing away my gear at the end of the, of, of the, the, the gig and, and, and a guy came up and said, there's a young man who wants to speak to you. And a 16-year-old guy came up to me and began to speak to me and said, I'm planning to kill myself. I have things going on in my life that I can't reconcile with. I've come on holiday with my parents for the last time, but I'm going to kill myself. You say Jesus can help me. There you go, I'll give you some time. I was freaked out and I tried to do all my best theology and he was an extremely clever and extremely cynical young man and I was getting absolutely nowhere I eventually had him sitting in the front of the van and the other guys all sitting around things over and I was trying my best to convert him and nothing was working and I said to him just sit here and think of it I'm going to go and pray and I went and sat with the other guys and I prayed and I said Lord I don't know what to do I haven't got the tools to reach this young guy and I got back and I said to him you need to know Jesus loves you and he wants to save you. And he said, yes, that's what I want. That's all. That's all it took. 
Why? Because God had gone ahead and made the way. And it wasn't based on my ability or my skill. It was God's ordained time for me to speak what I could speak and what I had. He wants you to do that. In the supermarket, on the train, at school, at college, at varsity. He wants us to be ready to do that. He will open doors, but we need to be prepared to step through. And here is a place that you can get equipped. Use the opportunities. Use the opportunities that the local church provides to prepare yourself to be on mission in the Great Commission because that's what he's called you to do. There's another form of mission that we read about. It's organized, planned evangelical mission and the nurturing that goes with it. And I want to read to you Acts chapter 13 and verses 1 and 2. It says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. This is the first organized missionary trip that I can find in the Bible. You might point out something else to me that I've missed, but I can't find it myself. This is the first time that somebody says, this is a task that you're going to do. We're going to take these two guys that God has given a special gifting to, we're going to send them out into areas where the gospel is not being preached with our backing and our commission as a church, and we're going to send them to go and do some work. And it started off a pattern which these... I'm not going to move, sorry. It started, <laughs> it started off a pattern that these guys followed. They would go into a town and they'd go to the synagogue first because there were people who knew God. And they would preach the Old Testament scriptures that referred to the Messiah, and then they would say, this Messiah has come and we know him and you can have salvation through him. And they would either be received in that synagogue and people would follow the gospel or they'd be kicked out. And when they were kicked out, they'd go to the rest of the town and they would go and spread the gospel with them. And this would lead to them starting a local church, nurturing it, and then moving on, most often because they were kicked out or stoned or beaten or locked up. And this was a process of organized, thought through, planned mission with a purpose. The local church is involved in that as well. There is a calling for us to send people out to minister on mission. We see also that once they had gone and started churches on regular intervals, they would go back and nurture those churches and teach. They would write to them. They would oversee them. They'd be part of their growth. We should be part of that as well. There's opportunity for us to be part of that as well. We are people who are called to do that. It says here that Lipsius, a historian I was reading a little bit about, states that according to the oldest form of tradition, the apostles were divided into three groups. First, Peter, Andrew, Matthew, and Bartholomew, who were said to have preached in the region of the Black Sea. Second, Thomas, Thaddeus, and Simeon, the Canaanite in Parthia. And third, John and Philip in Asia Minor. And Paul and Barnabas in Corinth and Ephesus and, uh, and Philippi and those places. People went out with a purpose of preaching and teaching. They trained they got themselves ready. These were people that were specially equipped to go into environments that were difficult, and they went and they performed this task. Now, we have a vision for our church for mission. We have a system whereby we try and encourage people to come with on a, on a short-term mission, and we have a strong contact with Cambodia. We go there quite regularly. We're going there quite soon again. We've had to postpone our trip, but we're going again. And we go to, to work with the local church there and we take people with to experience mission 
and to have their first chance in a short-term mission of 10 days to go into that environment, to preach and teach, to pray for people, and to see God working in that kind of environment. And I want to strongly encourage you to come along if you can. We're looking to try and do some work in Romania with our youth as well. Chances to come along, see if this is something that God calls you to. Let me be honest with you, I never thought I'd be involved in mission. For many years in my role in the church, I was a worship leader and I was a teacher and preacher. And that's what I thought I would do. Some years ago, someone said to me, we're going on a mission to India, come along, we're going to do a music mission, there's a couple of bands going. And we went along, and I went along mostly for curiosity and a chance to play some music and encourage people. And I got off the plane in Chennai in India, and God broke my heart for the local people. I just found all the other stuff became less important. And God moved in my heart in a way to make me see what God was doing through the local church and want to support it. And subsequently took me to other places and I'm pleased that we're doing the work we're doing in, in Cambodia at the moment. You don't know what God's going to call you to until you give him a chance. So come along. Come and share. When the chance is to go and minister out, come along to those. But our hope is that these short-term trips will inspire some people to go for longer periods of time. For example, Bune is saying that he's now going to be starting a number of schools. And there might be young people here who are coming to the end of their studies who want to give a three-month period or a six-month period or even a gap year to go to Cambodia and work with the young people in these schools that he's starting. And from that, we could get to a situation where people actually move abroad and minister there. And you might be sitting there saying, well, that first part about being spontaneous mission, I can do that, but, but I don't think I'm ever going to be someone who's going to go on one of these organized trips. But maybe you are. Maybe God is going to set you aside. Maybe you're going to find that that's what he's called you to do. In both of the ways that we're talking about, there is a need for the church to be mobilized and to be moving. I'm, I'm just going to be blunt with you. Don't just come here and be a blessing here and be blessed here. Take it out. Take it out wherever you can. Don't just rejoice in the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life because it is, and that's a wonderful thing to do. But don't just rejoice about that. Rejoice about the fact that you are called to give other people that privilege and, and, and security. The Great Commission applies to you. How is it going to work in your life? I have no idea. And I've already said that I can't inspire you or bully you by a sense of duty that you have to do it because that won't last but pray to God for his love to flow through you and to show you who it flows to and how you can do it. And just do it. I love the gospel according to Nike. Just do it. Take the opportunity. Take that moment. You might say something and feel like an absolute fool. No one responds, but you have no idea. One day you'll be in heaven and someone will walk up and say, you know you said that? It's stuck. And a month later, someone else came and said the same thing, and it's stuck, and I'm here because you started the ball rolling. You don't know. We aren't told to keep a score. We're told to go and do. Just do it. Now, there's another aspect that I'm going to touch on. Paul, when he writes to the Romans, says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, this is Romans 15, 30 to 33, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. He says, pray for me. That's something you can do. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers. And it was in India recently. That's the 11th most dangerous place to minister nowadays on Open Doors' latest list. 
that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, that my contribution I take to Jerusalem may be fairly received, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and your company be refreshed. The God of peace will be with you. He says, I need you to help me. I'm going, but I need you to help me. And Paul has no compunction in writing to the churches and saying we need financial support. And mission needs support. We have a missionary that we're supporting in Romania. We send money every month to help him to live, and he's running a Bible school. We send money out to Cambodia to pay for teachers and people that are working there. We send money to India, to Tony Johnson and his church there. That comes from you as you give. But I'm going to say something to you now. I hope you'll take this in the right way. I'd love you to give more towards mission without taking away from what you're giving to the rest of the church's ministry. Maybe you can give something extra specifically for mission when you give your offering. I'm not going to pressure you, but I'm going to say that that's another way to support mission that Paul notes. He says, you can't all go with me. He doesn't say we're all going to Rome. He says, you can help me get there. You can help people to get there if you don't want to go yourself or if you can't go yourself. Bear that in mind. But mostly he says, pray. He says, do everything you can do to help this person. Our people must devote themselves to what is doing what is good. He says, I'll be helped by you to go further. He talks about all these things, but when he finishes, he says, pray for us. I hope I've stirred you up. I hope that some of you I've made uncomfortable in a nice way. I hope that maybe someone else has already planted a seed, and as you're sitting there and you're listening to me, you're saying, there it comes again, there's that, that urging. But don't wait for the organized mission, don't wait for the crusade, don't wait for the tent meeting. Go out there and just do it today and tomorrow. Draw what you can from the local church. We have a mission, but we have the programs, the people, the opportunities, and the fellowship, and the love for you to grow and become effective. And take what you've got. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the, the many people that have brought the gospel from their starting in Jerusalem at that wonderful time that your Holy Spirit fell, for the people that have contributed to my knowing about the kingdom of God. Thank you that they were faithful. Thank you that they spoke up. Thank you that I heard the message 2,000 years later. I want to pray that each one of us here will be mobilized and inspired and challenged to do what we can to share the truth of the kingdom of God. Help us to grasp equipping opportunities and opportunities to go and to support going. Help us to do what we can as we enjoy each other's fellowship and company and teaching and your presence in this place. Father, let this be a place of sending and a place of giving and a place of going out. In Jesus' name, amen. A friend of mine had a church that over the door as you went out said, you are now entering a place of ministry. I think that's a good thing to end on.